Hey there. So happy to be with you for part three of Building Trust and Faith. Oh, what a blessing. So let us join together and open our hearts and open our minds right now. So we tune in to the infinite intelligence, divine love. Ah, yes. So I invite you to take a breath of love and gratitude with me. Gratitude raises our vibration so that we can see and hear and know and feel more clearly the love of God. So grateful. So grateful to open ourselves right now to a healing. Surrendering the false beliefs, the beliefs in limitation and lack, fear and shame, surrendering it all in order to know the truth that sets us free. We're remembering truth, building trust, deepening faith. Taking these breaths of love and gratitude, we center into our heart and we call upon the company of heaven, all that is holy. We call upon our ancestors and all the beings of love and light. To assist us and support us in remembering our true identity. basking in this centering moment. Allowing ourselves to become present to our heart. Letting the mental, emotional, and physical chatter fall away. I'm going to share a couple of prayers from our workbook. I'm going to begin with a prayer for healing through releasing negative energies. I am a master of divine expression. I now release all beliefs and separation and limitations that no longer serve my path of light. I release all vows of poverty and limitations that I ever made in this and past incarnations. I release all imprints, implants, negative thought forms, black magic spells and curses, negative patterns of the human ego, illness and disease patterns, and all energies that no longer serve my path of light. By the intervention of divine grace, with my full intent, I choose to release all energies of separation, limitations, and all blockages back to the universe. 
I ask for these energies to be purified and transformed into the highest form of light. I invoke the assistance of the angelic realms, ascended masters, my monad, Mother Mary, and Quan Yin to release from my being and world all levels of energies that are less than my divine blueprint of perfection and my eternal victory in the light through my spiritual awakening. And so be it. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. Beloved, I am. And we take that breath. Breathing in love, breathing in gratitude. And the prayer for partnering up. All these prayers are in the Masterful Living workbooks. I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. I am my I am presence. I am one with the one, and for this I am truly grateful. In the name of my beloved I Am, I ask that my higher Holy Spirit Self, my I Am Presence, lead and guide me to be in the flow of love in all moments of this day and in every area of my life. I intend to be easily led and guided to choose the highest and best in each moment. I allow myself to receive the blessings that are mine to receive. I allow myself to recognize the most loving choices this day. Higher Holy Spirit Self, please make the loving choices so attractive to me that I cannot mistake them. Help me to choose love and to live my life as a joyful and abundant prayer of the heart. Help me to recognize my life is the eternal life of God. I am dedicated to being a loving and beneficial presence on this planet. I choose to be truly helpful. I share the benefits of my healing and expansion with everyone because I am one with them. I am awakening to know my true identity and the true identity of my brothers and sisters. We are one in love, eternally, and for this and all the blessings I receive this day, I am so very grateful. We take that breath of love and gratitude again. And the prayer for my awakening, also in the Masterful Living Workbook. From the Lord God of my being, I am that I am. I decree I have love for my journey of awakening. I have compassion for all physical and emotional pain I am still healing. I give thanks that I am now healing the past and resurrecting the divine blueprint for my life. 
As a master of divine expression walking the earth, I declare I am worthy of God's love, which is my life and being. I now turn on the light of my divinity. I call for the maximum divine assistance in releasing all that no longer serves my life of profound love. I call for a blessing in every area of my life and being. I call for a blessing for my family, friends, co-workers, fellow masterful living students, and for all those who have appeared to work against me, that we all awaken to our divinity and the divinity of all life. I give thanks for the unity of all life. I now activate and transform my DNA to its fifth dimensional potential. I now choose to completely heal and rejuvenate my physical body. I now choose to remain happy, harmonious, and grateful, and to be a beneficial presence. I claim the mastery that is mine to manifest my freedom. I allow my divinity to manifest in a most wondrous way. I give thanks that it is done according to God's holy will. I call for the Christ light to blaze through me daily and hourly. And so be it, beloved I am, beloved I am, beloved I am. Yes. And the My Purpose Prayer from A Course in Miracles on page 28. I am here only to be truly helpful. I am here to represent, to represent him who sent me. I do not have to worry about what to say or what to do, because he who sent me will direct me. I am content to be wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. I will be healed as I let him teach me to heal. So, in our Trust and Faith class here, I declare that this class is the Word of God, the living Word of God. And I am so grateful to be truly helpful. What I know for each and every one of us is that we are actively surrendering all blocks to love, all blocks to harmony, peace, prosperity, wholeness, freedom, joy, and the all good of God. We welcome our healing and we allow it to be. Our conversation is a healing conversation, a divine dialogue. And we are grateful and thankful to allow it to be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. <sighs> so there are many places in A Course in Miracles that speak beautifully to trust and faith and to similar identical statements are ones that I go to all the time in my practice of development of trust and faith. And one is Lesson 135, which is the longest lesson in the workbook by far. Paragraph 18, 
where it says, what could you not accept? If you but knew that everything that happens, all events, past, present, and to come, are gently planned by one whose only purpose is your good. What could you not accept? So anything that feels unacceptable to you is evidence that you believe in a power other than God. You believe that the ego has power. And so now you're going to start working your will in the world uh, aligned with the ego. Now, the same statement, practically, is in the Manual for Teachers in Chapter 4. Chapter 4 of the Manual for Teachers is about uh, the characteristics of God's teachers. And it says that the most important one is trust, and all else rests on trust. So that's why early in our year here of Masterful Living, we have these three weeks on building trust and faith. It is a topic we will return to all year. And as I've said before, uh, the three weeks of prayer power are in a sense of preparation for the building trust and faith three weeks. So in the section on trust, specifically section A, development of trust, it says it takes great learning to understand that all things, events, encounters, and circumstances are helpful. Yes, it does take great learning. <laughs> it really and truly does. So uh, I also would like to point out to you that uh, there's a beautiful prayer in the section of prayers from Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind. He has one there right in the beginning that's, uh, that I placed in the beginning of that section entitled, I shall not, not doubt nor fear. I shall not doubt nor fear. For my salvation is from on high, and the day of its appearing is now at hand. I shall not doubt nor fear, for my whole being responds to the realization of life within and around me. I shall not fear, for the hosts of heaven are waiting upon me, and the law of the universe is my salvation." I shall not fear. So, really, what I've come to is that all doubt is self-doubt. All doubt is self-doubt. And let's look at, I've got a, num a lot of things I'd like to cover in our class today. So I'm going to reiterate again that trust is a practice to gain faith. Through the active practice of placing our trust in love, our trust in God rather than in the ego, what we do literally is we dissolve all the egoic attachments through that active practice of trust. That's been my experience. 
that for every time we choose to place our trust and faith in love, in God, we literally are healing so many, if you will, threads or cords of attachment to belief in lack and limitation. I do not have scientific proof of this, but I know from my own experience, the more I placed my trust trust and faith in God, the more I experienced the healing. So it's as though each choice to trust in love, in God, not in just random things in the universe, but in the invisible force of God, in the invisible field of love, placing my trust in divine guidance and knowing that I'm hearing correct guidance because my intention is wholly loving, completely loving. So placing my trust in the guidance, in the path of love, had a miraculous effect of undoing all kinds of false beliefs and attachments, cravings and aversions, negativity, fear, doubt, worry, blame, shame, misperception, misidentification. So trust is really a quantum healing tool. Because the ego has gotten so strong in our mind through our placing the trust in the ego and how we weaken the ego in our awareness or the identification of the ego in our awareness is through placing our trust and faith in love, in God. And as I've said before, If we place our trust in people who are identified with their ego, we are not placing our trust and faith in love, in God. And one of the most common errors that we make, that then we get very upset from, and we have a hard time forgiving, is we place our trust and faith in people who are identified with the ego. And in my personal experience, observing myself, the only reasons I ever did that was I was trying to get something from them. And when I was upset later, remember, lesson five, you're never upset for the reason you think. I realized that I was always upset because I had placed my trust and my faith in my own opinions and judgments. And my opinions and judgments were that I needed something, I wanted something, I was lacking in something, that someone or some situation could give me what I was lacking. And so I placed my trust in that, kind of a let's make a deal situation. And then the person I was really angry and upset with was myself. And so I would project my unforgiveness towards myself out onto other people and say, they hurt me, 
they didn't keep their agreements. It's their fault I'm upset. It's their fault I got hurt. It's their fault I lost something. In my experience, things that are worth having cannot be lost. And nothing that is mine can ever be taken from me. These are false perceptions. Now, it, in this world, it looks like, oh, someone could steal my car. But I don't know what anything is for. And, yes, in this world, the car looks like it's mine. But if someone takes it from me, that has to be for my highest and best good. It has to be. And that is crazy to the ego. The ego will never put its trust in that. So that's why we undo the ego when we place our trust and faith in God. So let's look at this because this development of trust that we are experiencing, that we're, this, the section in the teacher's manual that I'm going to be sharing about here, this is our experience. This is what is happening to us right now. And this is why I have us in Masterful Living read this um, every day for a week and then read it once a week throughout the year because it will truly begin to make sense to you if you're interested in it. So in the development of trust section, it says that the teachers of God, and the teacher of God is anyone who ever had a perception that they were one with anyone else. So the teachers of God, that's the they in the first paragraph here, must go through what might be called a period of undoing. This need not be painful, but it usually is. So experienced. It seems as if things are being taken away. And it's rarely understood initially that their lack of value is merely being recognized. So it seems like there's an undoing. It seems like things are being taken away. But what's happening is we're beginning to recognize that these things don't have real value. And it says, how can lack of value be perceived unless the perceiver is in a position where he must see things in a different light? So what that means is, let's say that you have idolized something or someone in your life. You've idolized them. You've made them a false god. And to some degree, you worship them. You adore them. But it's not a holy relationship. It's a special relationship. You need them. Maybe you're trying to control them and manipulate them. Which, if you're trying to control or manipulate anyone, then where's your faith and trust? It's in your own opinion. And if what you're doing is you're managing and coping with the relationship or the situation, then where's your faith and trust? It's in your own opinions and judgments. It's in that ego identification. So one of the ways you know 
where you've placed your faith and trust is your level of peace. If you have peace, your faith is in God. If you're feeling upset, your faith is in egoic opinions and judgments. I love that it's so simple. So when we have idolized something or someone, it's possible that the highest and best for us could be that they would be taken away. So that we could realize what we've done and come back to ourselves in our heart and in our mind. Now, the great thing is, is if we are idolizing someone, you know, you might be idolizing a dog or a child or your spouse or your boss or a movie star or anyone that you might be idolizing could even idolize, of course, you can idolize Jesus the Christ. If you're idolizing, then you're literally placing that thing or that person in a godlike place in your mind. And there's an attachment there. And so it's the release of the attachment that's actually going to bring your freedom. So... This period of undoing doesn't have to be painful. If we willingly release attachments, we don't have to let things go. So, for instance, to me, I've learned the wisest path is not to give things up. <clears throat> because, for instance, let's say I realize I'm idolizing my lover. Well, I'm going to I'm going to give him up because uh, that is the best way to end that attachment and that craving. Well, why not stay in the relationship and turn over the idolization, the craving, the wanting, the needing, the aversions, however that, because we can have negative false idols too, things that we hate uh, are, are, are it's also a way to idolize something or someone. We can give we can give up the negative relationship, the egoic relationship, without giving up the relationship. And to me, that is the wisest, fastest path. If we have an attachment to something and we just sever the connection to it, how do we know we're dissolving the attachment? If if when you think about it, you don't feel completely and utterly peaceful, you haven't dissolved the attachment. So sometimes people who are in uh, relationships will come to me for counseling and um, they'll say, I'm thinking of ending this relationship. And uh, when we talk about it, I'll say, well... How would you actually do that? And they say, well, you know, we'll just go our separate ways and live our separate lives. And I say, well, if you're one with them, you can appear to have a separate life from them in this world, but you can't actually have a separate life from them because you're one with them. So as long as you're one with them eternally, <laughs> why not? Work out whatever seems to be causing you distress. Why not turn it all over to the higher Holy Spirit self and have a healing? 
it's so much easier to do it when the person is around you all the time. I know about this one. I know about this one. In fact, one of the most uh, helpful things to know is that for those who are on a true path of mastery, you may have already done it. It may be something that's coming up for you in this lifetime. But somewhere along the path of mastery, there usually is some phase of initiation into uh, mastery where you have to cohabitate with people who are, to you, very annoying and very challenging and learn to find complete and total peace in the midst of it. So the people who are most intensely challenging to you, my approach is not to turn away or try to get away, but actually to stand still and find the stillness in my heart and my mind right there in the midst of that relationship and to call for the maximum level of healing in my mind because that's where the disturbance is. If I look to get peace through creating some kind of physical distance, not talking with them, well, then I don't really understand that time and space are an illusion. Time and space are an illusion to help me heal my mind. If I'm trying to put distance between me and that person, is that really going to help me heal my mind? Now, there are certain cases where, yes, if, there, if people are actually physically and emotionally and mentally attacking each other and they can't seem to stop, then that's probably not a good place for anyone to be because that is very wearing. So in that case, I would definitely remove myself and I would do uh, lots of prayer to heal the relationship and have trust and faith that it's happening and that I'll be led and guided to whatever steps are most prudent for that healing. But it's very common, even among spiritual students who are very dedicated to when relationships get difficult, they just want to get away from them. It's totally understandable. And I believe that in many circumstances, the faster path of healing is to turn the whole relationship over to the Holy Spirit, to be made holy, which is something we'll be talking a lot about in our uh, many weeks that we'll be doing on healing relationships. So placing our trust and faith in God requires us to start to recognize where these false idols are. So I'm going to give you a moment here to tune within and to see where those false idols are. Could be anything. Could be your garden. Could be your car. Could be your job. Could be other people's perception of you. Things that you have a strong attachment to. 
You don't have to give them up. But giving up the attachment to them is critical to your mind awakening. We cannot energize attachments, cravings, aversions, addictive compulsive tendencies, false idols, and choose peace, harmony, awakening, healing, wholeness, true prosperity at the same time. You're either choosing the ego or you're choosing the spirit. There's no middle ground. So we learn to have trust and faith that giving up the attachments will bring the peace and the harmony that we desire. We become more interested in being truly helpful than anything else. So if we refuse to give up the attachment, then wouldn't it make sense that having it actually forcibly removed from you, that undoing, would actually be helpful to you so that you can realize you've been hurting yourself with the attachment, been causing yourself misery that you don't need to. So for me, I I really love that I can give up the attachment without giving up the thing. Sometimes when you do successfully give up the attachment, you really realize you never even wanted the thing in the first place. It was just a symbol for you to work out your attachment with. All attachments create suffering. So why would we cling to them? So I'm just going to pause here and see if anybody has any questions. And we are going to stay on this topic because I have a lot to uh, cover. So any questions on this topic, star two to raise your hand. Okay, Rob. Hi there, everyone. Um, <clears throat> so as some people know, um, <clears throat> I work for a solar company and I knock on doors. My job is to you know, get appointments. And um, I believe it was you know, a couple of weeks ago um, that you were talking about um, not focusing on the results, but focusing on, like, I forget what you what you what you what what, what you actually said at that moment, but um, I guess my challenge is always to focus on um, on just serving and presenting opportunities to people and having them choose. I'm sorry, there's a loud truck <laughs> going by my home there. But um so um and I mentioned this a little bit in the Saturday in last Saturday's call. But um so What's I guess, the question? Um it's um Actually, as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, I think it's 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 more of a statement of just 
of just uh, just giving giving up the egoic thoughts of of the attachment to uh, appointments to to the higher holy spirit self and having 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 God guide me to the proper homeless to the proper um to the proper people saying the proper things am i seeing that properly or yeah i think you are rob and and i also think that using that prayer that i used in the opening the one about being truly helpful it's the my mm-hmm. purpose prayer from page 28 in a course in miracles mm-hmm. where it, it says i am here only to be truly helpful i am here to represent him who sent me i do not have to worry about what to say or what to do because he who sent me will direct me i am content to be wherever he wishes knowing he goes there with me i will be healed as i let him teach me to heal so standing in that place of i'm here to be truly helpful and to be guided and because it doesn't matter how many appointments you have on a certain level i know that you've got a boss that says yes it matters um however if you were to have a sale for every appointment would it matter how many appointments you had uh no, if, well, they're more they're more concerned with sales than a, than appointments. Yes. Okay. But, um, so yeah. So the thing is, is it's about really saying, allow me to be led and guided only to the people I can be of service to, mm-hmm. and to be truly helpful, and and also that I can be served because we're one with everyone. Giving, uh, giving, 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 giving is is not the answer it's not better to give than to receive it's essential that we learn to be in balance and be receiving and giving so that's why just i'm here to be truly helpful god guide me where to go what to say what to do this day this moment every day and you will be Okay. So, yeah, giving up the attachment to the quantity while still understanding that, that that's the structure of the job that you have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. I, I think we have maybe Vicky here in Rancho Bernardo. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Um, I am going to start with... Um, testimonial because I'm thinking that I want to need your guidance to to reach the question, but it is in the topic. Um, yesterday I had a huge heart opening when um, I spoke in front of uh, 700 people and I revealed in one sentence what was one of the uh, hunting secrets that have kept me hostage. Uh, for 29 years in my life. And when I released that, I literally felt that big, huge walls that were um, built up in my heart, they just fell down. And um, I realized that I was attached to um, that identity. And uh, 
what happened was that when I released that uh, that identity publicly, I felt a lot of people's support. And um, by having that identity, I had closed my heart, not allowing myself to be support and help by others. And um, I was placing my trust and my faith in my ego for so many years by believing that I had to do it all myself. Yeah. And when those walls were down and I was fully raw and vulnerable, I felt the presence of people and their essence. And my question is, um, how how do I know that the ego is not playing tricks with me again? Because I'm feeling a lot of fear after this big release. Well, if you're feeling fear, then <clears throat> what's probably going on is you're, you've got some judgments coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're believing them. That's what the fear is. Well, my mind is blank. Like, like literally today, I'm just like contemplating things. Like, I'm not thinking about anything. So, so do you think that the uh, judgments by being the unconscious? So you're not thinking anything, but you're feeling afraid. Yes. Huh. And. It's like waves, like it comes and it leaves and then comes back and it leaves. But I have, I mean, I uh, since I arrived yesterday from this conference that I attended, um, you know, I'm by myself in my house today and not doing anything and my, my mind is not thinking about anything and just um, on and off with this stuff. Moving so- from... Being Are, fearful to gratitude and back and forth. Well, if you're in gratitude, you're thinking something. Uh, I just feel I feel the gratitude in my heart, and then I feel the fear in my heart. Mm-hmm. So when you feel the fear in your heart, there are no thoughts that are accompanying that. You're just... If my body shakes, like uh, like uh, my body shakes, like I start shaking, mm-hmm. and then when the shakes go away, I just feel my heart fill with so much gratitude, and uh-huh. then the shakes come back. Yeah, yeah it I sounds feel... like you're going through a, a real release after um, speaking up. Mhm. Mhm. And maybe some emotion that was, in a sense, trapped in your body is now being released. Uh, I can recommend to you, of course, prayer prayer is powerful, meditation is powerful. Those are the best tools that we have. You can also do, uh, you can get some sea salt and take a, a tub bath with sea salt, put a couple cups of sea salt in the water, and that helps to reset the physical electrical system. Mm -hmm. 
And you can also, in meditation, see a golden ball of light in your heart and see yourself completely surrounded in a field of light that's permeating every cell of your being and filling your entire aura. Mm -hmm. So these things will help to uh, clear out residual things that might be stuck in the, the physical and emotional body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that resonates a lot with me because I just couldn't figure out because my mind is not working very well today. So I just mm -hmm. couldn't figure out what to do. So well, thank you good, so much. Yes, and good for you for giving yourself permission to release old stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Vicky. Yeah. Thanks. All right, and I think we've got Jeannie here. Yes, hi Jennifer. Thank you. Hi. Yeah. I was um I saw clearly one of my idols was um vocation, career identity. That mm -hmm. one real easy for me to see. The other thing though that I feel I suffer the most around is um my relationship to my daughter and um I wrote down being a good mom, but I think it's more like wanting her to adore me or what, you know, I'm trying, I just want some clarity about, is that the attachment? Yeah, that sounds like an attachment to me, the wanting, craving, needing. And so what you can start to look for is ways that you're trying to manage, control, and manipulate in order to get what it is you think you want. So in your relationship with your daughter, this will be really easy to see, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you can see where you're giving to get, right? Where you're doing things to impress her to get a result. Yeah, part of that, I, I can look for that, but I think it's, what I'm that's not totally it's like a piece of it, but I think there's an even bigger piece is like I feel like I have to control or or I can see where I'm trying to manage and control things, and it's like not trusting that she's her own spirit and completely whole and complete right and and exactly and and Yeah, that's what I want. I want yeah. to see. I want to see her that way. Yeah, yeah. It's so much more fulfilling, and so that's the choice that you're making. And this this is one of the most wonderful things that happens for people this year in Masterful Living, is they stop seeing their loved ones as lacking, as having problems. And then they actually witness their loved ones start to blossom and shine, and their relationships with them improve dramatically. Oh, I think it was needing to be needed for uh, like, and and so that's the yeah, and, and um, yeah. Oh, thank you. That really helps. Yeah, so what would you rather be, needed or loved? Yeah. 
loved. Yeah. Yeah, but see, when we feel, because the root cause is we feel unworthy. We feel unworthy of all love because all love is God's love. We feel unworthy of all love because we've rejected God's love in favor of the world that we made and these false idols. That's why we feel unworthy. So then in our relationships, we move into managing, controlling, manipulating, and needing people's love and trying to gain their love to get it, to earn it, to um, somehow deserve it because we don't already feel worthy of it. So we feel like we have to do stuff to get love and nothing could be further from the truth. We are love. But see, we don't, it's, it's actually that we don't allow people to fully love us. We don't allow people to fully see us because we see ourselves as unlovable. So we prefer to hide, present a false persona, thinking that the persona will be lovable. But it's never true. I mean, if you just think of, Anyone you know in this world is presenting a false persona. It that persona is not lovable because it's not real. So this is how we prevent intimacy: is we present a false persona. So how wonderful that you can see this pattern and that it doesn't serve you and you can surrender it. Now you can have a truly loving and intimate relationship with your daughter. And you don't have to have, even have a conversation with her about any of this, although you could. No, I see that. Yeah. Thank you. And th- yeah, and this is why when people start to actually do this work, because talking about it is not doing it, and just listening to the class is not doing it. But when people actually start to work with their minds, they start to live a miraculous life. So, Jennifer, I just want to say um, I've re- I had a little breakthrough today, um, which I want to totally appreciate you for and acknowledge your help with, which was um, in the moment of the upset with my daughter, I could see I am trying to manage and control and can manipulate, and, and I knew in my heart this isn't really important what I'm trying to. It was picking an elective in her school for next year. I knew it, it really wasn't important, but I could feel completely overtaken by, like, my mind, my body. You know, it just hijacked me. Mhm. And um and I was upset and I was and I and I went to bed going like what is going on? What this this isn't important. What is going on here? And I woke up and I got re-triggered and I completely I mean way escalated beyond what it was. And in a very short time and I literally removed myself cuz I'm like I am gone. I am not here. Like I got to get out of the way. And um and I wrote down, you know, I I could see that I See, I want to see her as her essence, not as the problems and whatever else, right? 
and and put my trust in her essence and and the divine in her and um and in love and um but but with the point what but what I want to acknowledge is for the first time, even as I was in it, I'm like, I am grateful. There is something waiting to be released. There is a belief, and I journaled about it this morning, and this is, and, and that's what I came up with. But you even brought more clarity to it for me. But I just want to say, for me, that is such a joy to be in the moment and going, I'm grateful for this upset. And I know mm. there's, like, goodness behind it. So I, I, I'm so appreciative. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Jeannie. And, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because this is one of the topics I wanted to cover tonight about when we want to be right. And that feeling comes up, which I, it happened to me once. No, I'm kidding. It happened to me about 40 million times. (laughs) And it still happens to me. I still notice when it comes up and like, oh, my God, Jennifer, you really would like to be right here, wouldn't you? Okay, well, this is good. We can heal this one. Oh, my God. Um, because I I used to live so that I wanted to be right every minute of every day. And I was 100% willing to suffer in order to be right. I was willing to cut off my arm and my nose. Uh, I, I, I was willing to sacrifice any kind of happiness in order to be right because I felt so wrong and it's valuable to look within sometimes and to say where does this come from and for me what I recognized was it comes from a deep sense of unworthiness I feel so wrong and so bad that this little bit of rightness, I think, is going to somehow validate me and keep me from drowning in my wrongness. But, uh, of course, it doesn't work. And what I also learned in in my path of healing, as everyone in Masterful Living knows, I realized that extreme self-care, self-love, was the path of my healing. And so that meant releasing all judgments. And it also meant to really be kind to myself. Like the Dalai Lama says, kindness is my religion. So I began to really look for how can I be kinder to myself. So I began to speak to myself kindly, darling, sweetheart, what's really going on here? You're you're safe. Let's see, you know, what is causing the upset and what I realized was that whole pattern of being willing to be miserable in order to be right to ruin relationships to make all kinds of sacrifices in the world in order to be right that would I put someone through that if I loved them So, in other words, if I have someone that I'm caring for that I love, would I make them take the path that I was taking? And I would not. I would throw myself in front of a bus to keep them from going through what I was forcing myself to go through. And I realized this is not loving. This 
needing to be right is not loving to me. My whole body becomes inflamed with upset. And in case you don't know, inflammation is the cause of all aging and most illness. So um, my whole body is inflamed with upset because that's the level of the divine alarm clock that was going off for me. My emotional body is inflamed. And when all of the mental, emotional, and physical bodies are going off, the alarms are going off, and I'm not taking spiritual steps for my healing, what am I going to do? I'm going to go right to self-medication. And then after the self-medication, what am I going to do? I'm going to berate myself for self-medicating and self-sabotaging. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to self-medicate some more to drown out the self-beratement and attack. And then what's going to happen? Some more attacks, some more berating myself. A vicious circle, the hamster wheel, on and on and on and on. So I realized... In order, as an act of love and kindness to myself, I I just, I didn't want to be right anymore. And I don't want to defend myself anymore either. It still happens. I still notice the patterns come up on a daily basis, but the attachment to them is so much less. And so my peace isn't disturbed. So that is great awareness. Did you want to say anything more, Jeannie? No, thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, Sushant is raising his hand here. Hey, Sushant. Hey, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good. Good. I just wanted to share a couple of things uh, because, you know, you told me about, like, observing like when people give you compliments if someone's trying to buy you lunch what is your reaction to it Mm -hmm. um and so i spoke at psla yesterday as part of the practitioner training program and we had to do a five-minute share and uh i shared and uh i felt really good and i noticed like you know people were clapping and the applause was going on for a little bit longer and i was like please stop please stop don't clap for that long And I noticed, like, even when people afterwards were saying, like, that was really great, thank you, I just, like, I I was very, very aware of, like, blocking it, you know? And in Mm -hmm. my mind was, like, this thing of, like, don't get a big head, you know? Like, and it was so crazy because, like, uh, I got text messages and messages on Facebook, and I had almost, like, a sort of panicky feeling anytime I felt, like, this excitement or love or appreciation come over, and so what I did is I sat at the end of the evening, like around 5 o'clock or so, and I sat and I did a meditation. And I imagined all of those people and the things they were saying and taking it one by one and allowing it to, like, enter, you know? So um, it was just really, really great awareness in terms of, like, just something as simple, like you said, like a compliment or, you know, um, that I, I was not allowing it in. And so... I've I've become super aware and it, it it feels like I almost become cold or numb when it happens, you know. So I wanted to like uh, thank you for that. Um, and secondly, I had this dream uh, today that I woke up with that really really like bothered me, and it was where I was in a house and uh, there was this child who was telling me about what I had to do 
and I was totally believing this child, like he knew all the answers. And there was like this uh, loving sister-mother friend that came in, and she was like, oh, that's not right what the child is telling you. And I was like, no, no, it's right because of this, this, and this, and this. And I started creating a little bit of drama with the sister-mother friend, and then the child ran out, and I knew I'd sort of been tricked. And I ran after the child, and this child, like, started almost, like, you know, uh, tormenting me when I got out, when, when it stopped. And I was trying to throw stuff at it, and it was trying to throw stuff back at me. And in that moment, I realized, oh, my God, the child was the ego, and the the lady sister friend represented, like, the intuition. And I woke up with this really, really sort of, like, panicked feeling of, like, in a way, that's what happens when I worry. That's what happens when I stress. So I'm listening to this thing that doesn't maybe even know what what is going on, and I tend to sometimes ignore my intuition, although I've gotten better at it. And I wanted to share that dream with you because I feel like it so, like, clarified something in me that felt like a core sort of understanding. And it has to do definitely, I know it has to do with, like, the, the, the thing about working in dream time that you talk about before going to bed, you know, to read that section. So I wanted to, I wanted to thank you uh, and share that with you. Beautiful. Thank you. Yep, healing is happening. Hmm. All right. Ah. Okay. I am. Uh, oh. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Sushant. Uh. I'm going to go back to the trust section here in the manual for teachers. And <clears throat> so after the period of undoing we have the period of sorting out and it says this is always somewhat difficult because having learned that the changes in his life are always helpful the teacher of God must now decide all things on the basis of whether or not they increase the helpfulness or hamper it so we go through this period where we're looking at everything saying, does this increase the helpfulness or does it hamper it? And it says, he will find that many, if not most of the things he valued before, will merely hinder his ability to transfer what he's learned to new situations as they arrive. Because he's valued what is really valueless, he will not generalize the lesson for fear of loss and sacrifice. It takes great learning to understand that all things, events, encounters, and circumstances are helpful. Everything is helpful. Nothing is unhelpful. Okay? So, it is only to the extent to which they are helpful that any degree of reality should be accorded them in this world of illusion. The world value can apply to nothing else. All right, so the period of sorting out is this, that changes in your life are always helpful. 
and it can seem like things are being taken away and that your life is falling apart and that this is not good and this is not working and this is a disaster and this is a loss. But this is not the truth that will set you free. The truth that will set you free is to recognize that everything is helpful. Everything. So there's a temptation to sort things and say this is helpful and this is not helpful, but everything is helpful. So if we can't understand how this could be helpful, this is when we have to have faith. Well, I'm willing to have faith that this is for my highest good or it wouldn't be happening. And you know, I've had to do this in extreme circumstances. I say, this has to be for my highest good because that's all I'm interested in and that's all it could be. So I'm accepting this as my highest good. Even though in the moment, especially to the ego, this seems unacceptable. I mean, how can the death of a loved one be for the highest good? I don't know. And until I can see with a fifth dimensional awareness that allows me to see beyond time and space, in fact, fifth dimensional awareness, you can see through all directions of time and space, then you'll know exactly why this could be helpful. How could uh, someone getting cancer be helpful? Well, we can speculate, but we don't know. So we have to have trust and faith. If we're going to label something as not being valuable, then we're going to create suffering for ourselves. And we're learning that only the things that are helpful are valuable. So let us not cling to the past, because that's not helpful. <laughs> and the past doesn't exist anymore. So it's not actually valuable. And the meaning that we made of the past is definitely not valuable. Mm -hmm. So let's just see if anybody has anything to say about that. I'm going to lower all the hands here and we're going to stay on topic. So if you have something to share about that. Or on the subject of trust and faith, please raise your hand. Okay. Let's see. The next stage is the period of relinquishment. And it says, if this is interpreted as giving up what's desirable, it will bring you enormous conflict. It says few teachers of God escape this distress entirely. There is, however, no point in sorting out the valuable from the valueless unless the next obvious step is taken. Therefore, the period of overlap is apt to be one in which the teacher of God feels called upon to sacrifice his own best interests on behalf of truth. So it may seem like you're having to give things up on behalf of truth, but you never do. You, you never have to sacrifice 
anything of value in order to further your awakening. You never have to do that. That is such good news. But you do have to give up your attachments. So, it's... it's um, you're going to have to learn this and that where and you'll discover that as you give up things that you have attachments to where you think that there might be grief there will actually be a happy lightheartedness instead and where you thought you'd be making some sacrifice that something would be asked of you that you didn't want to give you will discover that a gift is being given to you and this is so true. This is so true. And uh, I, I can tell you that this is uh, how I experienced this, something that I talk about also in my Finding Freedom class, where when I was in the practitioner training uh, at to be a science of mind practitioner in the Agape community, I remember even actually before practitioner training. Driving around in my car in L.A., I was in traffic in L.A. all the time. And in the traffic, you know what I would do? I would listen to spiritual tapes and sing spiritual songs, and it was a time of contemplation. And as soon as I didn't need all of that time in the car, hours a day, to listen to spiritual tapes and sing spiritual songs and be in contemplation, then I didn't, I didn't need to spend hours a day in the car anymore. Interesting, isn't it? I've seen that with a lot of people that uh, they go through a period where they have a lot of time in the car and it's actually, if they say, especially spiritual students, if you say, my time in my car is time I give to God and you really make it God time, then you'll find that your life will transform and you won't need to spend all that time anymore. At least that's been my experience witnessing myself and other people. So, uh, I remember very clearly driving in my car and having my conversations with God, with my higher self. And I remember saying, Okay, God, I am giving you 70% of my life. 70% of my life is for God. 70%, God. Who would ever have thought Jennifer Hadley, of all people, would be giving 70% of her life to God? That's tremendous trust and faith. What devotion, what dedication. 70% is... It's... It's more than two-thirds, for heaven's sake. Wow! And then a year later, 80%, God. I'm giving you 80% of my life. I, I have to give more. 80%. I only need 20% for me now. Just 20% for me, 80% for God. Isn't that amazing and wonderful? Wow! Look at me. I'm changing 80% for God. Oh. And then 
six months later, okay, God, 90%, 90%. I, I don't even need 20% anymore. Cut that in half. 10% is all I need. 10% for me, little tithe, 10% for me, 90% for God. Let's give it all to God. 90%. Wow. Look at me. Who would have ever sunk it? Oh, my God. Amazing. Miracles do happen. I only need 10% of my own life now. <laughs> Three months later or so, God, I only need 5%. Just give me 5%, 95% for God. 95% for God, 5% for Jennifer. Wow. I'm... Wow, this is miraculous, amazing. And you know what I needed that 5% for? I, I used to literally think of it. If I just need a little postage stamp, a little square piece of land, and, and in that 5%, I can be bad. I can be angry, resentful. I can talk trash about somebody. In that 5%, I can self-medicate. If I needed to, I could go smoke some crack or do some heroin, have sex with a stranger. I could do whatever crazy, knuckleheady thing I want in my little 5% without judgment because, hey, it's my 5%. I'm going to do whatever I want to with it. And 95%, I'm going to be good as gold. I'm God's girl. And wow. God, you ought to be happy with that. I mean, jeepers, creepers, you ought to be over the moon, 95%. I mean, it just so much. And then I got to the point, not too long after that, where literally down on my knees, weeping like a baby, saying, God, do not let me hold anything back. I don't want anything separate from you anymore. 100%. Trust, faith, all in for God. Don't let me hold myself back. Do not let me keep something out of God's mind. I 100% for God. And I realized when I moved into that space of not wanting to hold anything back in my heart from God, I realized that the whole thing about the 5% to 10% to 20 to 30% for Jennifer was that I thought it was bad. I thought Jennifer was the one who does things that are bad and wrong and stupid and unkind and mean and self-sabotaging. And I wanted to reserve the right to be me, because I thought that's what me was. But as soon as I said, I'm all in for God, and I meant it, and I just remember multiple times just sobbing and sobbing, take my whole life. I don't want to have anything separate from you anymore. Knowing that God's not a man, I've never thought of God is a man, but just God is my own higher spirit self. God is the infinite creator, God of all life. I didn't want separation anymore to run. I wanted to eradicate it. And so 
I was choosing to eradicate it and eradicate the sense of separation. And that's when I realized, oh, I've been judging all these things, self-medication, being angry and resentful and all of this stuff, as A, these are things that I identify with me, and B, thinking that <clears throat> they are bad and they are evidence of badness. And so when I decided to go 100% for God, then I saw, you know what? <clears throat> it's only my judgment and opinions that makes these things wrong and bad. It's not that they are inherently wrong or bad. It's only my belief that makes them so. And I remember talking to uh, Reverend Michael Beth about it uh, right around then. And um, not specifically about that, but he had always, I'd heard him say many times, because I'd, I'd heard him for many years at this time, um, hundreds and hundreds of talks and teachings with him. And he used to say that he didn't want to become a minister because he didn't want to give up his weekends. He wanted to keep his weekends free to do as a practitioner. And we were in the ministerial school and um, and I asked him, I said, is that really the reason why you didn't want to become a minister? Or was it because you believed you couldn't be that good and that being a minister meant you had to be always angelic, if you will, and never have a moment of irritation or frustration or unkindness or pettiness or self-medication or anything like that, that you were labeling all those things as bad and that you couldn't be a minister unless you didn't engage in any of those things. And he said, yeah, that's it, exactly. Or something like that, he said to me, yeah, that's really what the the reason why I didn't want to become a minister was. Not, it had, had nothing to do with weekends. And so that was helpful to me. Because at that time, I was close to graduating from ministerial school. And there's a lot that people, spiritual students on the spiritual paths, go through because they think, I can't be that good. I can't be that holy. But it's really that we're judging something as not being holy. And if that's where our mind is, then our trust and our faith is not in God's love and goodness, but in our own opinions and judgments. So, is it a sacrifice to give that those beliefs up? Is it a sacrifice to keep God out of your heart? Yeah, you're sacrificing to you're sacrificing joy and freedom and prosperity and wholeness and harmony and everything that you say you want. That's what I realized that by giving my whole life to God, there was no sacrifice, that there was nothing in this world 
that I would ever have to give up <coughs> that I wouldn't want to. That I wouldn't be willing to and feel good about giving up. Because when you give up attachments, you feel free. Attachments create suffering and separation. Today in my spiritual espresso, I wrote about these birds in the cage in the um, dining room of the place where I'm staying and uh, really seeing the birds in the cage as representing the Holy Spirit speaking to me, saying this is how many people live their life. They build a golden cage of what they think they want, and they fill it with the toys and the food and the refreshments that they think will make them happy. And they put it in a beautiful place, and they think that living like a a beautiful bird in a cage, in a beautiful cage is going to make them happy but a cage is a cage so that's the perfect lead in here to the next stage which is a period of unsettling oh no the next stage is the period of relinquishment No, we just did that one. Period of settling down, rather. This is a quiet time in which the teacher of God rests a while in reasonable peace. Now he consolidates this learning. Now he begins to see the transfer of value of what he has learned. Its potential is literally staggering, and the teacher of God is now at the point in his progress at which he sees in it his whole way out. And this is the whole way out. Give up what you do not want and keep what you do so give up what you do not want give up the pain the suffering the ego identification keep what you do want using the terms of the course here what do you want in the terms of the course salvation to wake up how simple is the obvious and how easy to do. The teacher of God needs this period of respite. He has not yet come as far as he thinks. Yet, when he is ready to go on, he goes with mighty companions beside him. Now he rests a while and gathers them before going on. He will not go from here alone. So for me, in that period, I began to experience peace. I felt I'd reached a tipping point where I was 51% or more focused on love than on separation and I was living a life that was truly helpful and really intent on waking up and I did find mighty companions showed up in the visible and the invisible to support me and I, I realized oh we can never be alone in and that's one of, of course, the teachings in The Course in Miracles. Jesus says, I am always with you. But you can feel alone if you choose to. But you never can actually be alone. So the company of heaven, the angels, the ascended masters are always there with us. It says, the next stage is indeed a period of unsettling. Now must the teacher of God understand that he did not really know what was valuable and what was valueless. All that he really learned so far was that he did not want the valueless and that he did want the valuable. Yet his own sorting out was meaningless in teaching him the difference. 
And so I'm not going to read the rest of it here, but basically yeah, you go on and you have another whole series of awakenings and awarenesses. And, and that's the process that I'm in. It's the process that we're all in. And you can recognize where you are in this development of trust. So trust is an active practice. Moment by moment, you trust in love. And it seems like love is untrustworthy because in the past, we've all done this. We have wanted to trust someone because we wanted to get something from them, something that we thought we needed or that we lacked. And so we gave our trust to someone. We placed it in them when they were identified with the ego, just like we were, because like attracts like. So we placed our trust in them, and there was a sense of loss or betrayal. And what the meaning that we made of it was that love is not trustworthy, that loving is not safe. However, loving is always safe. Love is always trustworthy. But if we are giving to get, we are not trustworthy. We're presenting a false persona of someone who's giving, but really we have a string attached. And then if we're betrayed... We think they're wrong, they're bad, but the truth of the matter is we betrayed them by pretending to give them something when we expected something in return. I just wrote three blogs uh, about relationship um, just these past couple of days, which are, let's see, what's today's date? Gosh. I think it's the 23rd. Yes. So the 20th, 21st, and 22nd of March 2015, if you're looking for those blogs. And this is one of the major upsets that we all have about misuse of our faith and our trust. So we place it in the ego. So... If you feel like people have betrayed you, the fact of the matter is that you've betrayed yourself. You're in some kind of expectation, some kind of giving to get, and you're blaming others for your upset. But the truth of the matter is you're upset with yourself for placing your trust in faith. Or so you tell yourself when really you were giving to get. Your love was not unconditional. So this has been my personal experience. And so when we are not trustworthy, we experience the world as not trustworthy and others as not trustworthy. And so many of us have trust issues. We say, I'm not going to eat any of those brownies. I'm never going to have sex with them again. I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. We make these pr promises, but we don't keep them. 
And so then we know we're undependable, unreliable, and untrustworthy. And the world mirrors it back to us. But then we get mad at the world. But the world's just going to mirror it back to us. So why would we be mad at the world? Wouldn't we, if we're really interested in waking up, wouldn't we be grateful that the mirror is showing us something we have been unwilling to see until now? So the mirror is always showing up as the world. And you know that it's something unhealed in you if what you see in the world upsets you. If it upsets you, then your trust and faith is in your own opinions and judgments. And that's why you feel unsafe. Because you know your own opinions and judgments, they change so easily. They are the sinking sands. Do not build your house on the sinking sands of your own opinions and judgments unless you like being upset. Unless you'd like to delay your happiness and your healing and your waking up. So I invite you to consider anyone that you feel is untrustworthy. In your mind and begin to look at that and realize this is a mirror of me and start to take ownership in your life. How am I untrustworthy? How am I betraying myself? Yes, it's so powerful. Being able to have a dedicated practice of cultivating trust and faith in God is so profoundly transformative. It's almost impossible to really describe how powerful it is. And this is why I encourage you those in Masterful Living to do the divine experiment where you pray on the same thing every day. You bless it. So pick something that feels really challenging to you and bless it every day. Bless it many times a day. Every time it enters into your mind, I'm calling for a blessing here. It can be that simple calling for a blessing here. I'm willing to release all my opinions and judgments about this and call for a blessing. Holy Spirit, higher self, help me to see this with God's eyes. Everything works together for my good and I'm grateful that this is so and I'm willing to know it is so. This is how we develop a profound trust, what I think of as a radical trust, because in the world of effects, it is radical. And I have learned to trust things that don't make any sense at all, but to follow the guidance. And so the only way to learn that we can trust our guidance is to trust it.
But if you're trying to get something, it may not be guidance. It may just be the ego. So how do you know? The voice of God, the voice of the higher Holy Spirit self is gentle. It's affirmative. It has no opinions and judgments. has no attitude. It's still small voice. And if you're willing to recognize it and make it your guide, you'll begin to hear it no matter how still and small it is, in the biggest, craziest, nuttiest cacophony of ego storm, you will hear the still small voice and know that you can follow it and trust it. And it leads you out of the storm and into that safe space. It will lead you through the valley of shadow, beside the still waters, and to a table of bounty laid before you in the presence of your enemies. Indeed, it will. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So, we're at time here. We've oh, had a full and rich class. I thank you for joining me. And I invite you to place your hand on your heart. And to take a breath of love and gratitude with me. And let us be so grateful and so thankful that we can give up attachments cravings, aversions, addictive and compulsive tendencies, and that we actually feel more free, more our true selves. So grateful and so thankful that every choice for God that we make is healing for our brothers and sisters and not just ourselves. So we are declaring our willingness to be truly helpful, to place our trust and faith in love, in grace and gratitude, we share the benefits with all because we're one with them. In grace and gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I love you. Mwah.